And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Good morning, folks. Thank you for joining me here. It's October 18th. It is Friday. It is the second podcast this week. Finally, we're back to the two episode per week formatting, which I do like. It's doable for me. Uh, it lets me get a lot of stuff off my chest. I got a lot of stuff I want to talk about. Today is no exception. Uh, and when I miss uh, an episode here and then, uh, I just don't feel like myself, you know? So it's good to be back. Uh, I'm glad you are here with me once again. Darren Starr is who I am. Uh, and you are who you are, and I won't say hello to every one of you because that would take too long, and I don't know who you are. So uh, a couple things here coming right out of the gate. First of all, I've got some anxiety today, so I might be talking a little bit faster. This episode may end up being 18 minutes long just because I breeze through everything so quick. I kind of doubt it, but you never know. Uh, and I, I have a little bit of anxiety because I'm going to try a new gym today. Mm, yeah, what what I'm, what do I have anxiety about? Well, specifically, it's about the commute. Um, so I'm going to try a gym that's actually in Oak Ridge today. I live in Knoxville, Farragut slash Concord specifically. So I got to go. It's a trek out to Oak Ridge, and you know I remember uh, reading stories from uh, other competitors like way back in the day, and I remember reading about. Some competitor, I don't remember who it was. It was nobody of, of particular note or anything like that. But I was just like reading profiles and, uh, you know, trying to re read about like, you know, uh, articles that were written about people so you could kind of see what their life was like as a competitive bodybuilder. And I remember this, I don't even remember if it was a man or a woman at this point. Um, but they lived somewhere in Texas, which I know doesn't really narrow it down a whole lot, but somewhere kind of rural-ish, like not in a big metro area. And I remember them saying that uh, they had a particular gym that they really, really, really liked. And it was an hour and 15 minute drive to get there one way. So you're talking two and a half hours of a commute to and from the gym from where they lived and where they worked. Uh, and they said, you know, if, if not for the fact that I just love that gym so much, it would, uh, you know, I, I have to really, really change a lot about my life in order to make that work, but they did. Um, and I'm like, I kind of, you know, I think that's a little freaking crazy, but I kind of respect that at the same time. Uh, so when I'm talking about going to Oak Ridge, uh, I haven't timed it yet. It's probably like 22 minutes. I don't know, as opposed to the 12 that it takes me to get to my current gym. So uh, I'm not talking about some great sacrifice for humanity or anything like that. But you know, nonetheless, when you've got a fairly tight schedule, like I do on a lot of days, it's like, hmm, okay, all right, well, let's do it. And we're going to try it today. We're going to go in there. We're going to get it done. We'll see. Um, we may have some uh, uh, reported uh, reporting footage uh, in Instagram. Check the story for that. That's at Darren underscore star on Instagram. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I'm going to be going there. I'm going to record this and then uh, get some breakfast and then head on out and do it. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, I have a, a fairly gruesome and nightmarish tale for you. If you were following me on Instagram yesterday, you saw this. I will not uh, rehash the whole thing with all the gory details. But nonetheless, let's just say it was a little um, skin crawling and, and really just like a nightmare scenario playing out. I had a, a response from from uh, Kristen on Instagram, a client of mine, and she's like, this is literally the stuff of my nightmares. I'm like, yeah, me too. And so dealing with it was not cool. So in the middle of the night, I don't know, like three or four or something like that, I woke myself up because I like, you know, something in my mouth popped. Like I'd clearly been grinding my teeth or something like that. I'm like, what the hell was that? Oh, and you do that kind of thing where you're like, 
uh, uh, you move your jaw around like, man, my jaw is sore. Ugh, it's kind of tight. So I'm like, all right, well, go back to bed, whatever. So then I wake up, uh, go about my business, start eating. First bite, I feel something come loose in my mouth. I'm like, oh, fuck my life. No. And like, my first thought was, is that my temporary crown? Because I still don't have my permanent one yet. I'm like, is that my temp? Nope. That's underneath it. That's on the bottom, not the top. God damn it. Oh my God. So I cracked a tooth in my sleep last night and sheared off a nice little piece of a back molar, which sucked. Um, so, and then, you know, I'm sitting here and, uh, I have, you know, my desk is usually like very, very clean. Well, not clean, but it's tidy. I have things on my desk, but right now I'm looking at my desk and what do I have here? I have my John Elway figurine that I've had since I was, you know, nine years old. Um, Hey, John, how you doing? He, he's lost his helmet long ago, but I still have him sitting here on my desk. Um, I've got a thing of, uh, what is this, uh, eyeglass cleaner. Got my water, phone, mouse, keyboard, um, Bluetooth headpiece here, two sets of headphones. So I've got my, my little um, over-the-ear uh, clip-ons um, that I wear when I take Taz for a walk in the morning just because they're, they're not, not bulky. I don't need great sound quality. I just need something to hear some stuff. I've got my noise-canceling plug-in Sony headphones that are just for travel, but they're just sitting on my desk for some reason. Keys, sunglasses. I've got my little um, Rubbermaid container here that I usually have my post-workout carbs in. I'm going to take that upstairs and fill it up shortly. Um, and then a single piece of paper. This piece of paper is a bill from the dentist, um, and it's like, what, $17 for, I don't know, some adjustment that they made that I didn't pay for my last visit, so whatever. So that was on my desk as a reminder to call them, and also that I needed to call them to uh, get the appointment made for my permanent crown as well, and now I had a third thing to call them with, like, yeah, I have another issue, great. So I've had a crown, a root canal, and now I'm looking at probably another crown, if I had to guess, uh, for this this one that's now broken. So I called yesterday, and you know, their office was closed, of course, because dentists work like one day every three weeks, apparently. I don't know. Sorry to all the dental professionals that might be listening. Um, Ariel, Lana, sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I know a couple of you are out there. Uh I, I know you put in hours, but damn it, you're, the office is never open when I need it to be. Like the last couple emergency calls I've had, I've had to hit, uh, hit up the after hours number um, during the day because they, they closed. Like they were um, seeing patients Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. I'm like, man, must be nice. Uh, <laughs> Oh, I'm going to get some responses from that. I know that. Uh, anyway, so, somebody finally uh, was in. They had a, a certain uh, window during the day where somebody was in to take calls. So um, I got an appointment scheduled. It's a week from today. So we'll do a podcast next Monday. We'll do one on Friday. And then you'll hear me belabor the fact that I have to go in. And you'll hear me whine about the dentist again. This is going to become the Bodybuilding and Dental Anxiety therapy hotline podcast. That's what this is going to be. So anyway, uh, I want to get to it today and talk about some subjects at hand very, very quickly. First of all, I'm going to do a flash update TV report. Uh, I have a warning for you all out there, a warning, a stay the hell away warning. Now I've only issued one of these before and that was uh, for absentia, which I watched the whole season, whole first season of that. And it was just God awful. It was so dumb awful. I really had some serious problems with it. I got that off my chest. I feel much better. This now, it, my my stay the hell away is for Goliath season three. 
which was just released. It's an Amazon Prime series, features Billy Bob Thornton as a lawyer in Southern California. Uh, and it, it season one, I thought was really good. I really enjoyed season one. Season two was like, wait, what? There was like weird stuff. This is going to sound like I'm making this up. I'm not. So season one was kind of a, a fairly predictable but well-executed uh, law procedural. Uh, it, it was it was well done. It was well thought out. It was well acted, reasonably well written, well performed. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I did. Season two then went into like, you know, amputee torture porn um, and like scenes that seemed like they were written and filmed by somebody who was on an LSD trip completely unrelated to the amputee torture porn stuff. I mean, it was all over the place. And I sat through it. I'm like, this is fucking weird. What is this? I'm like, eh. At the end of the day, I'm like, that was definitely not what season one was, but eh, okay. I'm like, fine. I'll probably watch season three when it comes out. Well, I made it one and a half episodes through season three. It is probably the worst thing I've ever seen actually get released as a finished product on TV. It was so bad. And I'm talking like my wife was watching this and she was like, if I had, if I told my fifth graders to write a screenplay and they came back with this, I'd send it back to them and say, this is not good enough. I mean, like the dialogue was so bad. The performances were awful. The whole concept and idea just seems really stupid. I have no patience to, to watch it and see if it actually goes anywhere. I just don't care because it's so awful to try and sit through it. It is so bad. I mean, every every line of dialogue just makes you roll your eyes and cringe. You're like, oh, my God, somebody actually wrote this. And then it went through, like, several revisions, and it still came out like this. They filmed it, and nobody said, like, hey, this is bad. Can we fix this? Like, no. Nobody said anything. Nobody cares. Nobody gives a shit. It's awful. It is so bad. So I cannot tell you strongly enough, stay Away, Goliath, season three. So now, that being said, I want to talk about something very near and dear to my heart, which is depression. Um, wow, that, that that was that was a sharp turn right there. Woo, man, we, we got serious real fast right there. Uh, n- not legit clinical depression, but what I'm talking about are post-show blues. Um, so this is not come uh, for once we're having a segment here that does not stem from an email that I got from somebody or a voicemail. We'll get to some of those as well. I've got plenty to talk about here, but uh, you know, post-show blues, it's, it's one of the biggest problems for competitors and it's one of the most common problems and it can really derail somebody for weeks and months to the point where oftentimes um, I've had people and you know, here's the thing, like I can tell you all this stuff. I can have you know, if we're working together, I can have a plan in place for you. Um, if you don't believe in that plan and you don't execute it, and by believing it, I mean like, you know, not lose sight of it. Uh, because once the show comes and goes, whatever it is, you, there, there's going to be a little bit of a natural letdown. And that's what happens when you set a goal and you see it through to fruition and you complete it. There's going to be a natural letdown on a, a what's next letdown. And so you've got two ways that you can go there. So this branch takes a couple of forks. The first is you can say like, okay, well, this is a natural letdown. All right, I'm just going to chill for a couple days. Okay, back on it. Great. We're refocused. Here we go. Um, That's one fork. The other fork is where uh, that uh, letdown 
snowballs into really what is probably closer to a clinical depression. Um, and I've seen it happen so many times. And honestly, there's, there's very little that I, as a coach can do about that because I can try and get in your head all I want. And I can, I can tell you about, you know, re readjusting goals, shaking up your habit. Let's change the routine a little bit here. But honestly, if, if somebody is going down that, you know, you, you can't, you can't force somebody to not be depressed about something that it has to, it has to come internally from them. And so what I want to do here is for all of the people who have dealt with this and have come out on the other side of it and were successful and are scared about going through it again, or for anybody that hasn't had to deal with this yet and is a little bit worried about maybe competing. And, you know, they've heard people talk about post-show blues, et cetera. We're going to talk about how to avoid that completely. Um, and, and so whether it's, it's potentially your first time wrestling with it, or you're just trying to avoid a second or a third time wrestling with it, uh, the, the, basically it's, it's a very simple process. There, there's nothing fancy about it. A lot of it is just, you know, being mentally tough, expecting that there's going to be a little bit of a letdown, but that's fine. It's, it's, it's like there is with anything. It's kind of like, you know, uh, it, it I, th I think the best analogy is it works a couple of different ways. Like a lot of people will have a lot of anxiety towards something that's negative and then they build it up and build it up and build it up and then it's done and then they get this euphoric sense after it's done. So think like taxes, a dentist appointment. Yeah, yeah. Um, those kind of things where, you know, you're, you're, this is something that you're dreading, you're not looking forward to, it's looming out there, you've got a deadline on the calendar, it comes, it goes, and then you're like, I'm free. I'm free. Now, the other thing is, uh, what happens if it is something that's the opposite, something that's on your calendar that you're anticipating, that you're looking forward to, that you're really excited about? What's the natural response going to be once that's done? I mean, yes, this is also a stress factor. A lot of people get stressed out about their show, and there's a little bit of stress relief that comes from having it done, but also you've got that anticipation. You've been working towards this. You know, this isn't a, a dentist appointment that's been on your calendar for two weeks. This is something that you've been putting your heart and soul, blood, sweat, and tears into for at least three to four months, if not longer, uh, maybe a lot longer than that. And then it comes and goes, and then you're just expecting that, what, there's going to be no response after that? I mean, that's not, it's not normal to expect that. It's not rational or reasonable to expect uh, you, you to not have a response to that. But it's about managing that response. And it's also, and this is the big point here that I want to talk about, it's about proper goal setting. So um, I, I think for a lot of people, the goal is, you, you, the, the problem is you don't set a goal that's ambitious enough. Um, and and that, that may seem kind of ridiculous to some people. Like, let's say you're somebody and you're like, I want to do a show. And I think realistically, in order to get stage ready, I've probably got to drop 45 pounds. Um, I've got to hit the gym like I never have before. I've got to change everything about my diet. Okay, great. That is a big goal. And I'm, I'm the guy here that's going to say, that is a big goal. You know what? It's not big enough. Uh, because for somebody who experiences the, the, the post-show depression, the post-show blues, the, the problem is you, you are, you're greedy, realistically. So it's, it's not about doing the show and then having the letdown after the show. It's, it's more about the question mark of what's next. And so if you want to do a show, 
and, and that you're like, it's, it's a bucket list thing. I want to do a show and then move on with my life. There's no post-show depression. Uh, because you, you wanted to do a show, you did it, and now you move on. And now you're like, I'm going to master the guitar. That's what's next. Cool. All right. Go for it. Knock yourself out. Um, but the problem is, that is the goal that a lot of people establish. They, they talk about and they say, yeah, you know, we, that, that's what I want to do. It's, it's just a one-shot deal and I want to do that. But then during the process of preparing for it, that starts to change a little bit. And then in the act of doing it and getting on stage you know, they, they kind of realize like, mm, yeah, maybe this isn't a one and done kind of thing. Or it might be like, yeah, uh, I, I had uh, somebody recently who, you know, she had, uh, she, I mean, she got on stage, uh, first show, did great. And uh, now she's like, I'm not sure I want to do that again. Um, like, love the process, love the prep, um, all about it, you know, challenging, love the challenge, embrace it, totally up to it. Man, show day was a pain in the ass. Like, I get it. I, I don't disagree with that at all. So I'm like, come to the dark side. Come and join me where we're doing this and we're not necessarily worrying about a show. We're just doing it for ourselves. We're on our own timeline. We're setting our own phases and our own goals based on how we feel and what we want to do rather than trying to match up with a show calendar. Totally fine there. Still, um, you're going to set goals during that phase. You're going to meet those goals. And then what happens after those goals? That's the big question. So, um, but... The, the one and done crowd, I think a, a lot of people's, I hear that a lot from people like, I want to do a show just because it's something that I've always wanted to do and great. And I'll often ask people like, well, do you ever want to do, do you think you might want to do another one? Or is this really just a one shot deal? And a wide variety of responses to that. Um, usually it's like, well, I don't know. I, you know, I want to do one and then figure it out. I'm like, all right, cool. That's fair. But what, what I'm really getting at is are your physique based goals Short term, like you want to see what you can do, get there, take some pictures, and then move on with your life and go back to normalcy? Or is this something you want to stick with in the long term? Clearly, I'm always going to be an advocate of uh, being more in the long term camp. I mean, you know, it's what I do. It's what I push people to do. You're never going to reach your potential. Um, and that's what I'm in the business of helping people do is reaching their potential. You're never going to get there if you commit to it for like four or five months. You know, I mean, yeah, you can do a lot, but bodybuilding is a long-term thing and I encourage people to be into it for the long haul. Not like I'm trying to Im enforce my uh, values and my perception of what is good and what is proper and what is appropriate, but just, you know, I know that in four to five months, yeah, you can really change your body, but you're, you know, you're, you're not gonna, you're not going to achieve your potential. You're going to fall short of it if that's all the time that you give yourself. And also, there's a big change in mindset that comes from embracing this for the long haul. Instead of it's like, yeah, this is something, you know, this is hard. I can do this for four or five months. Okay. What about four or five years? That's, that's a little bit more realistic. Now, how are you going to change things? How are you going to approach the way that you learn about things? How are you going to change the way that you track variables that you monitor your progress if this is more of a long-term thing and that's when things start to get really serious there so the first thing and really the 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 main part about post-show blues and the the easiest way to avoid it is to have a goal that is ridiculously more ambitious than you think is even feasible and I am never going to be one to shit on somebody's parade if they tell me, like, you know, I want to be Mr. Olympia or whatever. And I tell you what, it sounds kind of silly. I've heard that many times. Like, I want to compete on the Olympia stage. And, 
you know, be like, okay, cool. Um, now we're, we're doing this via email. I haven't seen you yet. Send me some pics. And, uh, the, the email that comes after that, after I see those pics is a, a big reality check and a wake up call for a lot of people. Like it probably isn't going to happen. Uh, <laughs> because you know, if you want to get up on the Olympia stage, that's the best of the best. You don't get there without great genetics. You don't have great genetics, period. End of discussion. Now, can you be a good competitive bodybuilder? Yeah, you absolutely can. You're not going to be on the Olympia stage. So, um, like I said, I don't want to shit on people's parade. I don't want to lie to people at the same time. So that is a parade. I will kind of take a little bit of a dump on. Yeah. Um, we need to, we need to n knock you off the top branch of the tree and get you down onto a, uh, a level, uh, a, a level where the, the branches can support your weight. So, uh, that, that, that's the first thing is we need to reassess the goals and make sure that, yeah, they're ambitious. They, they are crazy. It's going to take some time to get there, but it's realistic. Also, you know, you, when you talk about that, there's so many other factors that go into like, I want to be at the, I want to be on the Olympia stage. Okay. Do you know what is involved in getting on the Olympia stage? And I'm not talking about the work that goes into it. I'm talking about logistically what is involved and the shows that you have to go through and the process to get on the Olympia stage. So first of all, you have to compete. And honestly, the, a, a good first step there is say, you know what, in whatever class it is that you're competing in, whatever category, you want to be competitive at, at a local show. That's where everybody starts. Not just doing a local show, but being competitive at a local show. That can take several attempts. Let, let's be clear about this. Um, a lot of people have this thing where it's like, I work really hard, so you know, I'm going to go on my first show, and I, I think I've got a good chance to win it. A lot of other people think that too. And you're going to be up there on stage with a lot of people who have done four, five, six, and seven shows and are still looking to break into that crowd. So work ethic has a lot to do with it. Genetics have a lot to do with it as well. So just understand that you know, however hard you're working, everybody else up on that stage is working just as hard. So you've got to set yourself apart in that way. Um, but being competitive at a local show, winning a local show, or coming in top two at least in the open category, which is more competitive, so that you can then uh, qualify for a national level show. Going to that national level show, and then typically, you know, top two, you're looking to, to um, get a pro card at a national show. And top two, a lot of those classes are going to have 30 and 40 people in it. Top two. And all of those other people have won their local shows around country. So you're not having any slouches up there. Everybody's bringing it. So top two out of, let's say, somewhere between 20 and 40 people to earn a pro card. Now, that's just to get up on a pro stage. Now, to get up on the Olympia stage, you've got to either win a pro show outright or go through a points qualification system where you're finishing high enough consistently in these shows in order to get up on that stage. More than anything else, we're talking about a lot of money involved here. This ain't cheap. Um, so keep that in mind. You know, Don't expect sponsors to pay your way through all these shows or anything like that. It's just not realistic. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. So... Um, that was a little sidetrack there. We're talking about post-show depression, but I think it's good to, you know, we, this is a topic about a conversation about goal setting. And I just want to make sure that we have goals that are really, really wild and ambitious, but also that are realistic. So let's say somebody said, hey, I want to be, you know, Mr. Olympia someday. I'm like, time out, hold the phone. Yeah, okay. Let's look at where you're at right now. You are, let's just make up a, a fictitious person here. You're a guy and you are realistically, you know, your legs are a little undersized. You're probably, you know, a good candidate structurally for men's physique. Uh, 
And, you know, that, that's something we can work on. Maybe over time, maybe we want to transition into classic physique or, or even bodybuilding maybe. So we want to build up those legs a little bit. Um, what, what, and then I, I start thinking about what is the ceiling for you? You know, how high can you take this? Uh, because there's a certain kind of physique where you can see them, you know, doing really well at a local show, but being really overmatched on a national stage. Or you can look at somebody and be like, you know what, I really think, you know, with some time, I think you could do really well on a national level stage. And, you know, if you can do well on a national stage, you've got a you know, uh, capability of being a pro. So there, there's tiers to it. So what I will always tell people, and I, I think about, you know, what's realistic and what's practical here. And also this is a, the a purely hypothetical conversation because at this point I haven't seen what kind of work ethic this person's capable of, what kind of consistency they're capable of bringing on a regular basis. And that's really the thing that matters more than anything else. Uh, how do you work and uh, how serious are you about it? Because even if you don't have great genetics, you can overcome a lot of that to some degree just by, you know, working harder than the next person. So, uh, and I've seen that many times, absolutely. So... Um, when we're setting a goal, I always think about what, what is this person's realistic capacity? Like, you know, what, what would I think is be, would be reasonable? Which, which of these tiers is reasonable to hit? And then I'm going to say, let, let's shoot for one beyond that. You know, one beyond that. Like if I say, you know what, um, I think like realistically looking at where they're at right now and trying to determine like what kind of growth we can see, what kind of conditioning we can achieve. I could see them being national qualified and then kind of, you know, maybe being a little overmatched, maybe being like third qual third third call out at a national show. So my goal then would be like, you know what, I want you to be competitive and in the mix at a national level show. That would be a really good goal. So you think about that and you take the conversation from being a goal about doing a show. And clearly in this hypothetical conversation, this is somebody who came to me and they, you know, I'm having to talk them down the other direction. It's not usually the case. More often than not, it's like, hey, you know, I, I want to see if I can drop 20 pounds. I'm like, well, of course you can drop 20 pounds. What happens after you drop those 20 pounds? You know, set your sights higher. So whether it is, um, whether it is a, a competitive kind of thing or maybe it's a general weight loss thing, you figure out, you know, what is the goal? And then let's overshoot that by a tier or maybe two. It depends on how ambitious this person is. Like uh, if I'm talking to somebody who is, let's say, you know, uh, 100 pounds overweight, for example, we, we could drop 100 pounds and then, you know, we'll be in the mix for, you know, talking about anywhere that we want to go. Uh, and they may just say, I just want to be, you know, I want to be lighter. I want to be down to this way. I want to be healthy, et cetera. I'm like, okay, that's great. But then what? Because we'll get there. You know, I'm, I'm not worried about that. You know, and I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, if you're telling me that you want to do this, that you've got the, the fortitude to stick with it and we can do it. So um, I'm thinking, like, what's next? Let's get a little bit more ambitious. OK, we want to be healthy. You know, we want to fit into a size, whatever. Well, what, what's next? You know, let's get more ambitious from there, because uh, and, and part of this is in avoiding this post show blues phase or post goal hitting phase, whatever it is, you know, it, it doesn't have to be post show is the easier way to say it. But, you know, you set a goal, you hit it, what's next, that's what we're talking about here. Um, part of it is me as a coach being a little bit of a dick and always dangling that carrot a little out of your reach so that you've got to keep going for it. Um, just because my goal, and this sounds really mean and kind of harsh, but uh, my goal is for you to never really be satisfied with where you're at, <laughs> which sounds really, really awful. 
Uh, but at the same time, I want you always reaching for more. That's the thing. Um, you know, what, more of whatever that is, more, more fat loss, more growth, better conditioning, better balance, better symmetry. There's, uh, you know, the idea that we've, okay, we have achieved perfection. No, you haven't. Shut up. Come on. <laughs> we can do more. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of a few clients in particular um, right now that have done shows recently and then are kind of like, oh, what's next? And I'm like, we, we know what's next. You know, the show is done, but you have you have more ambitious goals than just doing that show. You know, you went there, you did really well. You've, you've qualified for the next step. Great. So let's move on. You know, the, the, the process for that starts now. Hypothetical conversation here. You go to a show, like you, you tell me, my goal is to be a pro and I think I can do it. And based on where you're at, I can honestly say like, you know what? I agree. I think you can too. So, you know, let's do it. And at this stage, I'm going to say that's ambitious and enough of a goal right now. We'll move the goalpost later once we get closer to hitting that. But for right now, you know, let's win a, a local show and we'll start there. Okay. That's happened now. We won a local show. Okay. Now it's like, well, what's next? What's next is we start working for the national show right now. You know, you won that that local show and you know, went really well, really good, happy with how things looked there. Um, but we've got some work to do before you're ready for the national stage. And so the process for that starts immediately. Uh, and, and think about, you know, you, you need to know, like, what does the calendar look like? What are the shows that I have as options here? And, you know, um, geography plays a factor. Calendar plays a factor. Um, so with national shows, there's, what, six or seven of those? They're scattered all over the country. You know, if you're on the West Coast, you've got one option without getting on a plane, which is Vegas. Um, and even then, you know, it might make sense to fly to that show, depending on where you're at. Otherwise, you're going east of the Mississippi for everything. You know, um, Chicago, Charleston, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, Miami, et cetera. Um, so th those are your options. So you got to know where they are geographically, where they are on the calendar year. And then you think like, okay, well, you know what? I think it's USA's in July. That's my option. Okay, July. Great. So it's October right now. We've got until July. So we have time to grow a little bit, which we really want to fill some things out. Here's our priority list. It's one, two, three, and four. Um, and realistically, we've got until March. So yeah, you're looking at July. That's for a national show. That is going to be the biggest show of your life. You're going to be up there, and there's going to be 30 to 40 people in your class. You're going to need to be exceptional to stand out. Right now, you're good. We've got five months to build you from good to a base for exceptional. We got no time to waste. Let's go. Let's hit it. Uh, and so, really, five months. Okay. Well, that's 20 weeks. You know, if you're hitting things once a week, that's 20 shoulder workouts. It's 20 back workouts, maybe 40 leg days, <laughs> maybe. Um, that's how much time we have to grow. So you, we, we, that's how much time we have to grow to get more balanced, to carve out better detail um, that we're going to reveal then during the prep process. So when you think about it like that, you know, somebody will look at it, you know, it's October and they're like, well, my next show is until July. I'm like, yeah, but let's look at how those phases are going to, going to fly by here. So Five months in a growth phase is nothing. I'm currently on month 11, 10, 10, 11 for my own right now. Um, i got a ways to go still. Um, so five months is a pretty compact growth phase. So, yeah, if you're looking at something like that, what my, my goal is to, to look at where you're at post-show and then just kind of, you know, grab you by the shoulders and shake your head and say, wake up. 
you know, we, we have more ambitious goals. So the, the process for that starts now and we've got no time to lose. Look at the calendar, game it out. This is how much time we got. So uh, I would strongly encourage that. And, you know, always overshoot your goals by a tier. Be really ambitious about those while still being realistic. And if you want a gut check and a reality check on that, hit me up and I'll tell you. Send me some pics. Say, Darren, where, where do you think I'm at right now? What's realistic? This is my goal. Is this realistic? And I, I will tell you, like, yeah, I think it is. Or no. No, I don't think so. I won't be rude about it, but I, I will be blunt and honest about it. Um, and then I will, I will maybe suggest what would be more realistic as well. Always up for that conversation. Absolutely. So that's it. Post-show blues. There you go. So now... What I want to do is a quick little conversation here about a, a really fun topic that uh, that somebody sent over, and I, I mentioned her uh, once already here um, in sharing her her uh, dislike of uh, of dental nightmares. This is from Kristen, uh, a client of mine, and she said, um, <coughs> "Excuse me." Uh, she said this came via email, and I quote here, forgot I meant to message you a podcast idea that actually stemmed from my brother, who I recommended your podcast to. Parenthetical note for me, thank you for spreading the word. Always appreciate that. Kristen continues, he asked me what the golden ratio is for bodybuilding in terms of proportions, i.e. shoulders should be X inches wider than waist, etc. My, my response was that they've changed over time from the Arnold and Reeves days and that it depends on the category you want to compete in, but I couldn't tell him much more than that. I'm assuming the increased use of GH, etc. is a factor in what bodybuilders look like today versus the classics, but there are, are there other factors outside of steroid usage that have influenced the aesthetic as well? So it's a really, really good question, and I appreciate you asking. And so, um, and my response to her and, and, uh, cause you know, oftentimes people will email me things like this and I'll be like, that's a great thing. I'm going to talk about that in the podcast. So wait for the full response there. Spoiler alert, bleh. And then I'll give like a, a 10 word summary of what I'm thinking about. And I think my, my summary to that was, uh, it's a flawed concept, something along those lines. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a bunch of crap basically. So I did some Googling on this. And uh, I, I found this article here that really kind of, I think, references what she was talking about or what her brother was talking about, um, which is um, the, the golden ratio in, in bodybuilding. So this is from ignorelimits.com. Um, so if you type in, what did I type in here? Golden ratio bodybuilding into Google, I think. And this is one of the first things that came up. Um, so they said, uh, that if you scroll down here a little bit, it says the golden ratio in bodybuilding. Visually, the golden ratio is as follows. And so this is like as it applies to everything in life, in nature. And they say, you know, um, this applies to um, things at the atomic level, skeletal system of animals, tree branches, veins of leaves, human body, etc. So um, can you apply this to, uh, to bodybuilding to figure out the ideal size and proportions for your body? So... And then they take you through this thing. They, they give you here this uh, ratio of uh, a line split into two segments, A and B. Um, and then you take those two together, and it's A plus B. And then there's the sentence here, which I love. A plus B is to A as A is to B. So it, it's a ratio. It's a mathematical ratio. And then they, they break it down. They're like, okay, here's how you do it. So you need to record these measurements. And then here's a formula. Your ideal arm size, you know, um, what does it say? Your arms when flex should be 150% bigger than your non-dominant wrist circumference. 
Okay, that's pretty specific. Your ideal calf size, your ideal shoulder size, um, all this stuff. And how do they uh, arrive at all this stuff? I'm not entirely sure. Um, so here's the thing, though. Um, th this fails when it comes to bodybuilding for um, a, a few reasons. So we, we can talk about how the aesthetics have changed, and clearly they have. I mean, you know, Google, you know, Mr. Olympia over the years and just look at, you know, Mr. Olympia from 2019, 2010, 2000, just at the top of the decade, 1990, 1980, 1970. And you can see how the, um, how the aesthetic has changed. And certainly drug use and the, the limits that the, the human body is capable of being pushed to through drug use and through, you know, better dietary principles. Although I would, argue that you know conditioning probably peaked about 20 25 years ago and we've been struggling with it ever since um and i think drug use probably has a lot to do with that as well certainly impacts conditioning a little bit uh but it it, it certainly has changed over time so there, there's the golden ratio and then there's the judge's ideal aesthetic and i don't think it's fair or or proper or helpful to conflate those two those are very different things there is what what is most visually appealing in a universal aesthetic sense and then there's what judges want to reward on stage and those are two two very very different things so taking the the judging considerations out of it let's just talk about it from the theoretical perspective the the problem here is you can have um let, let's just stick with guys for example here you can have two guys that have the same measurements same height similar weight and same circumferences. So what they talk about measuring here is arm circumference at the peak of your bicep, circumference of your non-dominant wrist, circumference of your shoulders, circumference of your waist, upper thigh, knee, calves. Those are the measurements. So you can have a guy, two guys that are really within spitting distance of each other on all of those measurements and they can look totally different. And one of them may be uh, like, Greek God and the other one looks all blocky and fucked up and just not very aesthetic at all. And it has to do with muscle quality, muscle origins, muscle insertions, fullness of muscle bellies, etc. Um, all of those things are very, very unique individual factors that can change dramatically from one person to the next. And that is what really impacts your aesthetic. So here's where it gets a lot easier to conflate uh, this conversation with the judging aesthetics, because that's what you're really looking at here. But also it just shows like, yeah, so you can have a textbook aesthetic physique according to these measurements here. Um, and still kind of be like, yeah, they don't look that great. Or you could be way off from this aesthetic and be like, holy crap, they look amazing. So fuck your golden ratio. You know, that, that, that's ideal as far as I'm concerned. Um, and so the the individual the individualities that that separate people and really it has more to do with muscle muscle origin and insertion points than anything else. Um, it's very different. So the the if you're not sure what I'm talking about there, the easiest uh, way to uh, to visualize it is you can see like if you uh, flex your bicep and then look at where. Uh, there, there's kind of space in the crook of your elbow before the bicep really starts to peak off your arm. There's space right in there. Um, so if you've got a short insertion, that space is going to be greater, which might 
make the peak of your bicep look a lot sharper, but it's because there's less tissue because it has to occupy less space because it's got a short insertion. Now you've got, uh, I've seen it in some men and women where they've got like no space there at all, which, uh, t- has a tendency. It's kind of like, you know, if you've got, you know, a, a mountain that's 5,000 feet versus a hill that's 5,000 feet. Like the peak height is the same. The mountain looks way more impressive. You know, the hill just kind of gradually rolls up and then. So what, what you really see dominating, like especially in classic physique and in bodybuilding these days are guys with a really long insertion where there's just no space in there, but they still have this ridiculous peak. Um, and you know, it, it's very difficult to achieve that. So I, that's probably why it, it's very, uh, why it's rewarded because, you know, it takes some work, but also, you know, if, if you aren't born with an insertion like that, you, there's nothing you can do to change that. You know, th- those are things that regardless of how hard you train muscle origin and insertions cannot be altered. It is how you, you can't change that any more than you can change your eye color or, God, there's so many things you can change these days. What are the other examples that I can think of there? Eye color. Hell, you probably can change your eye color at this point. Um, the size of your feet, you know, that kind of thing. You, your limb proportions, you know. Do you have a long torso, short torso? you have shorter legs, longer legs? Uh, you, you cannot change your uh, muscle insertions any more than you can change any of those things. Um, I've got a guy that I'm working with right now, and he was like, I think one of my pecs is underdeveloped. I'm like, yeah, your, your insertion is off on that side. It's just an asymmetry. Absolutely nothing you can do about it. I'm like, sorry, you know, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There's nothing that can be done about that. We can work to develop what's there, but the thing is, you, you've got no pec in that spot, left side versus right side. On the right side, you do. On the left side, you don't. So nothing we can do about it. We can develop the pecs overall, but you're never going to like grow pec where it isn't. <laughs> You know, it's, it's like, there's just no muscle there. Uh, you know, the, the insertion isn't there. So, um, those are things that you can't change. And so there are, there are specific, um, insertion patterns that are looked upon more favorably by judges. Now, personally, I know it's all part of the whole when it comes to evaluating the physique, but personally, I hate that because bodybuilding should be a, a, a reflection on how you train and how you diet and not so much about how you're born. Yeah. Genetically, some people are going to be more predisposed to having an easier time building muscle or an easier time leaning out or a harder time for either of those. That's not something where you can look on stage and be like, wow, they have clearly, they just have great genetics. Like, well, what if they just work really hard? That's a possibility. But you look at somebody and, you know, like their their lat insertion is perfect. Their bicep insertion is perfect. The chest and shoulder insertions are just off the chart. So when they hit that front double by, it's just like, you know, there's no weak spots anywhere. It's like, oh, my God. That is entirely dictated by how they were born. Yeah, they had to work to develop that. But you, you look at that versus somebody who was born with poorer insertions. And you're like, yeah, mm. I don't, I, I wish that could be separated out in judging. Like, you know, if you're, if you're looking at, uh, like I've talked about before, segmenting out a scorecard into all the things that you're judged on. Um, I, I think like genetic insertion points could be one of those. Like somebody could score really highly there really, or really low there, but not have it kill their entire score. 
Maybe it's weighted a little bit higher. I don't know. But um, anyway, when it comes to the golden ratio, that's the big thing that's missing from the conversation is, you know, you've, you've got to be able to factor that into it as well. Otherwise, you're, um, you're missing the forest for the trees. So don't get too deep into the weeds on trying to find, like, the exact formula. I mean, look at yourself. Uh, you're, you're never going to get a better evaluation than having a qualified set of eyes look at you and determine what's lacking that way rather than relying on a formula. So um, I would like to then uh, get on to a, a voicemail here. Um, I've got a couple still. I think we'll probably get to one of these today. So um, that means that come Monday, I'm going to be out of questions. I need more. So don't hesitate. you got to call in, dudes and dudettes. Please. So, um, once again, that number is 865-518-2974. Call in, please. Let's dig into the voicemail archives and see what we got. Hey, Darren. This is Nolan from San Diego, California. I was calling because I just want a little bit more clarification on uh, eating at a deficit. Uh, Is there an actual number um, that you want to go for? Uh, Is there too much of a deficit? Um, I've just been reading here and about uh, deficits, and I just want a little bit more clarification on it. Very good. Thanks, Nolan. Appreciate that. So um, how is San Diego, by the way? Uh, <laughs> as the weather turns colder here in Knoxville, I'm like, mm, yeah, San Diego sounds pretty good right about now. Uh, so eating a deficit, yeah. Actual number to go for, um, too much of a deficit. Good question. There, there absolutely can be too much of a deficit. I can give you guidelines. I can give you general rules. Um, not general rules, general guidelines, but the only way to really know for sure is uh, to conduct an experiment on yourself. Uh, you can go and figure out, you know, you can have your basal metabolic rate, your resting metabolic rate, your TDEE, you can have all those things measured, but you know, those are all, I, I don't trust any of those. And I've talked about those before, you know, I, I just don't buy it. Uh, the, the ability to measure that stuff accurately, we just don't have it. It's like body fat percentage. You can get it approximated, but you know, there's a margin of error on all that stuff. So what, uh, and you've got to also keep in mind that, you know, this is something that's going to shift over time. You know, what is an appropriate deficit to lose weight now, you know, three years later after your body has changed a little bit and your metabolism's uh, changed a little bit might not be effective then. So, um, what, what it will take is some consistency, a little bit of rigidity and some data collection. So, and I would say realistically, probably about two weeks is enough time to do this. So, um, set yourself at something that you consider to be a basic intake level. And all we're really concerned about here is protein intake and calories. Like if, if you set your protein intake at about one gram per pound of body weight, maybe a little bit higher, and then you set your total caloric intake at a certain level, that's a good starting point. And you can use an online calculator to help get you in the right general range for caloric intake. And I think what you will find is like, man, this thing is way off. Uh, and the, the big thing about that, I mean, what we're really concerned with here is your TDEE, your total daily energy expenditure. So if you go in here and say TDEE calculator, let me, let me see, what do we have here? Um, learn your total daily energy expenditure. I want to look at this thing. Yeah. So, okay, here is, here is where it gets a little bit tricky. So, um, how is it calculated? What is it asking me here? Well, let's plug in mine here. So, um, gender, male, age, mm. 42. Um, wait, as of this morning, it was 238 pounds, 283. No, not so much height, six foot even activity. Yeah. And th- this is where this, this, uh, calculator falls apart. Every TDE ca- calculator 
falls apart right here. So activity level. Um, what you, what it really needs is two questions here, and I've never seen a TDEE calculator that has two questions here. Um, because what it's asking for, let me give you the options here. Sedentary, office job. Light exercise, one to two days per week. Moderate exercise, three to five days per week. Heavy exercise, six to seven days per week. Athlete, two times per day. So uh, the, the trick with that is um, I would pick two of those things. I would pick sedentary, and I would also pick, um, I guess right now I would pick moderate exercise, three to five days a week. So, uh, and it makes a big difference. So let's do this. Let's go, um, let's pick sedentary. And then for right now, it says total uh, body fat percentage optional. Um, and I'm going to say right now, I'm probably about 12. So calculate. Okay, great. So my stats, it says my maintenance calories, maintenance calories, 2,900 calories per day. Okay. Interesting. 2,900 calories per day. Um, Basal metabolic rate, 2,400. Gotcha. So, oh, okay. Now, this is good because it, uh, it it's kind of nice here in that uh, it rather than make me pick again, it gives me my uh, caloric approximation for all of the different options that I could have selected for activity level, which is great. So, my basal metabolic rate, it puts me at 2,400. Sedentary, sedentary it has me at 2,900. Uh, light exercise, it puts me at, what is it here, 3,300-ish. Moderate exercise, it plugs me in at about 3,750. Heavy exercise, it plugs me in at 4,178, whereas if I was an athlete, 4,602. So the two options that I was considering there, either sedentary or moderate exercise, um, it, there's about an 800-calorie swing there between those two options. That's not insignificant, not at all. So uh, my actual intake right now is, where is it here? Uh, is this it? There we go. Um, so right now it actually has me, uh, my, my macros right now are at about 3650 is where I'm at here. So. Um, now I'm trying to grow, um, and it's a little bit of a struggle. Um, I, I'm growing slowly. Also, these last few weeks I've had some consistency issues, um, just with everything that's been going on. So it's been a little bit of a struggle. Um, it says my ideal weight is 161 to 177 pounds. I, I don't think so. Um, I'm classified as obese. My BMI is 32.3. Awesome. I like that. Lots of good information here. And then it gives me some suggested macro breakdowns as well. So, um, yeah, funny. Uh, so the, my, my intake right now, my maintenance calories, if I had picked moderate exercise, which is lifting three to five times a week, um, puts me at 37.50. My intake here is 36.50. That's pretty close. And I am about maintaining. So actually, that's not too far off, realistically. The trick is, you know, I know what my intake is. I know that I am largely maintaining at this intake level right now. So now I can kind of say, okay, well, that was clearly the, the right answer. That's the one that I should have picked, the one for moderate exercise. The, the problem is I think it's a poor definition. Um, and realistically, you kind of do need to pick like two of those. So, um, yeah, so for, for me, my maintenance is right about 3,600. But I didn't get that from a calculator because the calculator requires your input and you might not know the right answers to these questions. 
but instead I got it because I've been on this intake level for a while and I'm largely holding steady here. So um, now somebody else, uh, you know, you take another 42 year old guy who weighs 240 pounds and is my size, but has a different body composition. You know, let's just say uh, they, they lift like I do. So I'm going to go ahead and say, you know, they're 42. They, you know, uh, moderate exercise three to five days a week. But let's say they're 25% body fat. So I'm not sure how this is going to change the calculation. Um, it drops it down a little bit, 3,284 cal- calories per day. So now I know from experience that if I take a guy who is my size and weighs 240 pounds at uh, 25% body fat and have him at 3,300 calories per day, he ain't losing shit. Um, you got to have a little bit more than that. And th- this is where the difference is because the, these calculators don't take into a, a account your, your uh, metabolic uniqueness, how healthy your metabolism is. So based on lifestyle, historical lifestyle, historical dietary habits, your, uh, your metabolism can really take a hit. You know, if you've done a lot of aggressive dieting in the past, like yo-yo dieting and that kind of stuff, that really tanks your metabolism over time. You have 10 years of that in your history. Suddenly, uh, you know, you're not going to maintain at 3,200 calories. You may, may, may be maintaining more at like 2,400 calories. That's a big shift. It's a really, really big shift. So the way to determine where your maintenance calories are is to set them someplace. So let's say, you know, hypothetically you're like me, let's say, let's say you weigh 210 pounds. Okay. So use this calculator and let, 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 let's plug in here. Let's just do a quick gut check here. So let's say, uh, let's say Nolan, let, let, I'm just going to make up some numbers for you here. Let's say you're 35, let's say you're 210 pounds. Let's say you're five foot 10 and let's say you're 18% body fat, moderate exercise three to five days a week. So we're creating a hypothetical person here. Your maintenance calories, it says 3,200 per day. I think that might be overshooting a little bit. Let's say they're closer to 2,800. So what I would do is put your caloric intake around 2,800. And I think if we modify something here, yeah, down below for for macronutrients, if I say, um, you know, instead of maintenance, I want to cut, it drops it down 500 calories, which puts it to about 2,700. Okay, that's cool. 2,700, fine. So I would say 2,700 calories. And if we make, uh, you know, if you weigh 210, I would say get your protein up to about 235. That's a good ballpark number. And let the fats and carbs fall where they may, but be consistent with it. And then f- set yourself up a plan. Um, on those macros and it's going to be like, you know, 235 and then you could have, oh, I don't know. Um, let, let me, hold on. Instead of just making up some BS here, let me actually pull up a actual macro calculator and, and plug in some numbers here. Let's, so let's say we want you at 235 for protein. Um, what we're going to put fats at, I don't know, let's just say 80, for example, here, ignore these numbers for the moment here. I'm just spitballing some crap here. Um, yeah, so let's take that up a little bit and there we go. Yeah. So if, if we put your protein at 235, your carbs at 255 and your fats at 90, that's 2,700 calories. That's a pretty reasonable split. And what I would be curious to see is after two weeks, are you maintaining weight? And now there may be a little bit of a fluctuation, like it may really spike down at first. It may really spike up at first. But over the course of two weeks, is it holding pretty steady there? If so, great. That's your maintenance. Now, if you want to go into a deficit, just drop that by 500. 
drop your calories by 500. So um, to, to get there, what I would do is I would probably say, you know, our, our target's going to be about 2,200. So I'd say if we bring your carbs down to about 200 and let's say we bring your fats down to 60. Um, so we take a sharper drop in fats. We keep your carbs up a little bit higher. That puts you at 2,200. So now your numbers are 235, 260. That's a good place to start. And now if you'd been maintaining at 2,700, when we drop you down to 2,200, you should be dropping steadily. Um, and then you can you know, bring in a little bit of additional cardio there as well. Perfect. Is it possible to get too, uh, too great of a deficit? Yeah, it is. Where does that point exist? It's tough to say for sure. Um, it depends on how lean you want to get. I mean, your deficit is going to have to grow um, as you get leaner. You know, your metabolism slows a little bit. So that's why, you know, on a typical cut, it's a progressive thing where your calories at the end of it will be lower than they were at the start of it for sure. Um, so it depends on how low you want to go. You know, if you want to get 4% body fat, you're going to have to be at a bigger deficit. And it would be a deficit that would probably be wholly inappropriate for somebody who might just be starting out. Um, so it's, it's very situational and I can't really say where that point lies. Um, it's, you know, it, one of those things that I run through the BS meter. If somebody is, you know, just starting out and they're at what I would anticipate to be probably close to like a thousand or 1200, 1300 calorie deficit, that's too much. Uh, that's too much. You know, my, my goal when it comes to, to diet and, um, dropping body fat on a deficit is I always want to have your calories as high as possible while ensuring that we are at a deficit and dropping weight. So um, that, that's how I'd approach it. So really good question, though. I appreciate that, Nolan. So thank you for that. So that's all I got. So we, we only covered a few topics here, but it's been close to an hour. So I appreciate you hanging with me. As always, I'm going to go eat. I'm going to go check out this gym. I'll keep you posted on how it goes. Um, I have high hopes. We'll see. I shouldn't get my hopes up, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I nonetheless have. So um, I appreciate you all hanging with me, though. Um, it's always fun here on a Friday morning. Shoot the shit a little bit. So I'll be back on Monday. I've uh, got a fun weekend lined up. We are hosting some family Saturday night going into Sunday. Always exciting. So um, we'll have, uh, what, my brother and sister-in-law and uh, a couple of nieces with us here. So the house will get a little loud, a little crazy. I'm going to do some work today. i got a haircut lined up, do a little songwriting work this evening as well. So good times overall, good times, living the dream. Got a couple of shows coming up this weekend. Emily in Oregon, Tracy, Florida. Best of luck to both of you. Um, I'm still awaiting. Do I have them here? I do not yet have a Friday Peak Week updates from either one of you. I know, Emily, you're, what, it's 510 in the morning currently over in Oregon. You'll be getting up soon. I'll be hearing from you soon. Um, super pleased with the way that both of them have handled prep, though. Um, really, really happy with this. Excited to see what happens for both of them on Saturday. So good luck. Um, that's all I got. So I will uh, peace out here and wish everybody a happy weekend, and I'll be back with you on Monday. Thank you.